open up to Isaiah chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, these folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Isaiah chapter 11. We actually got out on time last service. I think we're going to do it again this service. And we got a special treat for you. A song will just bless you. Well, let me put it into context before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We've been studying through the book of Isaiah. Last week, we took a look at this picture of the Messiah coming on the scene. And in this picture of the Messiah and this vision that God gave Isaiah, what God told Isaiah is he said, look, the northern kingdom is going to be destroyed by the Assyrians. And it's a result of their disobedience to God. And he's allowing the northern kingdoms to be destroyed. But he says to Isaiah, there will be hope in this Christ child, this messianic prophecy that we saw in Isaiah 9. And he lays out this picture of the Messiah to give hope to the, the remnant of Israel. And he's speaking towards Judah. And, and, and then there's a passage that we haven't studied, and you can take a look at it on your own. But a prophecy is given by God where he says to Isaiah, I want you to name this child It's a really hard name to pronounce, super long. But it basically says that there will, there will be war and then they, they will plunder. And he's saying it's coming quickly. And within a two-year span, the northern kingdom was destroyed by Assyria. And Isaiah knew that the clock was ticking rapidly. But God gave him a hope in the midst of the trial. And there's always hope. And in the midst of this, he gives him a hope in Isaiah chapter 11 and also chapter 12, where he depicts this idea of a branch uh, uh, coming out of a, of a, of a trunk, a, a tree that's been felled. And we're going to take a look at that. But what he's saying is, through this, this line of Jesse, and, and, and by the way, this word Jesse is listed, and it's still hundreds of years before Jesse will be on the face of the earth. So any of you are going, oh, that's just coincidence. I just don't know what to do with you. <laughs> and Jesse would be in the lineage of David and, and the declaration of the line of the tribe of Judah through the lineage. It goes all the way through Matthew chapter one. You can see the lineage comes to David and through David and the line of David comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it's just fascinating. And here you're going to see the listing of this name, Jesse. And from this will come the hope for Judah. It'll come, and, and it even says in Revelation five, the line of the tribe of Judah. Jesus' name is echoed through the halls of heaven through the line of the tribe of Judah. Real quick, one thing, Judah, the name Judah comes from um, uh, Jacob who had two wives, Rachel and Leah. Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance and Leah, for those ladies who are named Leah, please, I don't seek to insult you. Um, I actually love this name, but in uh, Hebrew, it means one who makes your eyes hurt. And anyways, uh, I'm just saying, and you have redeemed it beautifully. But everything that Jacob loved about Rachel was external. Everything that Jacob loved about Rachel was external. And, and, and uh, Laban tricked Jacob and uh, gave him, Rachel as a, uh, gave him uh, Leah as a wife. And then he had to work more years for Rachel, and he finally gets Rachel's wife. Now he has two wives. And uh, Leah keeps giving birth to sons while Rachel can't do it and, and keeps giving birth. And every time she gives birth to a son, she says, maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now my husband will love me. It just breaks your heart. And Rachel doesn't have to do anything but look beautiful. And he just digs her. And, and finally, you know, as, as their midwives are giving birth and the, the 12 tribes of Israel are coming into picture through the two wives, um, Rachel is giving birth to, to, to Benjamin, and she's dying in childbirth. And while she's dying in childbirth, she says to Jacob, name him Benoni. 
Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. You just let him grow up knowing he's responsible for my death. (laughs) At what point he looks and he says, no, Rachel, we're going to name him Benjamin. Benjamin means my little right-hand man, my little right-hand buddy. But there is one child that is fascinating. You see, as Leah was going through all this heartache and her husband not giving her the time of day, finally she just stops and trying to please him. And she gives birth to a son and she says, now I will praise the Lord. And he, she names him Judah, which means praise God. And it's from Judah comes this line because her life was dedicated to the Lord. And what's fascinating is Jacob was so touched by Rachel's devotion to the Lord that at the end of his life, when it comes time to be buried, and when I die, I want to be buried next to the love of my life, Michelle. But at the end of his life, when it came time to be buried, he said, bury me where my forefathers have been buried right next to Leah. He came to love her inside and out because he realized that she was a beautiful woman. And, and that's the, the profound nature of what happens. There's nothing more beautiful than a woman who worships God. Just ask Sarah. She walked into Egypt and all the women went, what does she have? This is, yeah. so I'm just saying. <laughs> and, and so... That's where we get the name Judah. Okay? All right, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And this is is interesting. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and not be eaten. I had to add that. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Somebody needs to arrest them for endangerment. (laughs) They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Speaking of heaven. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. And many people believe that this is the reestablishment of Israel as a nation. And, and we know 1948, this is the 70th anniversary. And so here it is. It says to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off and Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. And they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. And they shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab. And the people of Ammon shall obey them. 
The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. His mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. And then with all this, it elicits praise from the lips of Isaiah. And God declares this. In that day, Isaiah, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. And this is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. You look exhausted, so I'm going to pray and let you rest. Lord, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth and glorify your name. May we be ever prepared to receive all you'd have for us, that it would forever change us, and that we would be obedient to obey you. And we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, please. So there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of its roots, and here you have the destruction of the northern kingdom. Isaiah is seeing this decimation, his heart is broken, but God is giving him a hope for the southern kingdom of Judah, and also for Jerusalem, and he says, from this remnant will come this root coming out of the stub of the trunk of the decimation, and here's a really kind of cool picture of it. You can see the decimated landscape, the trees are scorched, and the, the trunk has been cut, and yet from that comes this root uh, rising up from, from the trunk of this tree. And oftentimes you've seen this, if you had a really good fruit tree that was really old and it, you know, was hurt and yet you see uh, something rise from it and it still uh, ends up producing. When we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, olive trees, hundreds of years old, and still the, the, the large portion of the trunk is dead, but they've got another portion rising from such a powerful picture. And this is what God is saying in regards to Jesse. And Jesse is in the lineage um, of David. And this name Jesse is hundreds of years before Jesse even is born. And, and you look at this and you think, wow, and it goes all the way down the lineage in Matthew and it's fascinating. And, and with this, from this lineage, from this root of Jesse, here's another picture. You can see the, the root coming up out of it. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, they changed my slides, but that's okay because I think it's kind of cooler. Um, and, and from this, what happens is, from this lineage, um, as we've, we've covered with Judah, this line of the tribe of Judah through Jesse, the lineage goes through David, and then the Messiah is born. And this is a messianic declaration, a prophecy to give Isaiah comfort. And, and he says, from out of this root, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, meaning the Messiah, Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, meaning Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. And interesting, and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Oftentimes people read that and they think, gosh, we're scared of God. Well, let me correct that. It's, it's not fear as though you're afraid of the boogeyman. It's fear out of absolute respect. You see, uh, I, I get frustrated in the council when people come and speak and they're, they're caustic towards the council members and disrespectful of their position. I, I am happy that they, you know, I'm, I'm content with opposing views because that's, 
that's the, the nature of, of, of a republic, that we, we operate in that context, and we, we attempt to reason together and let our case be known. But an ad hominem attack, where you're attacking the character of the individual, disrespect for the position, look, they worked hard to get elected, and God appoints all positions of authority, and the Bible says to honor that. And, and the idea is, if anyone served in the military, and you saw some of these men and women stand before us, they understand that you honor authority. You, you may not like the person, but you respect the rank. That's it. You can have your opinion of the person, but you respect the rank. God appoints it. And that being said, what's fascinating about Jesus is he is declaring, or, or God is declaring of his son, this Messiah, that, that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You see, this absolute respect for God the Father, Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant unto death, even death on a cross. He, it's, it's like a, a, a wife submitting to a husband. They're, they're equal. But this idea of, I'm, I'm honoring you. Christ is equal with the Father. He honors him. And in this picture, what you see is, Christ is, is respecting the authority of the Father. He's respecting the authority of the Father. If you doubt that, just remember the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew everything. He was completely man and completely God, and he knew what was awaiting him. The Via Dolorosa, the way of pain, the beatings with the cat of nine tails and the shredding of his back and the crown of thorns upon his head and the nails in his wrists and and in his feet. On and on and on. He knew what was awaiting him, and he knew the suffocation and the painful death that would await him on that cross. And he said to the father, as he was sweating as though it were drops of blood in the intensity of the garden of Gethsemane, while all of his disciples were sound asleep, and that that fiery snake was descending with the Roman guards and the temple guards coming down to apprehend him. He knew at that moment, as he cried out to the father, if there's any other way, any other way. But then he said, not my will but thy will be done. That's, that's complete submission to authority. I have come to do the will of my Father. Now, you know what's interesting about submitting to the Father? It's one thing to submit to the rank and struggle with the character of the one who holds the rank. But we are without excuse because not only does God hold the rank, but he has the character. And so this declaration is that he would have the spirit of counsel, he'd have the spirit of knowledge, he'd have the spirit of wisdom. This idea that his word goes forth and it transforms the world. And, and, and what he does is he doesn't judge by sight or by the hearing of the ears. The amazing thing about God, and, and as it says, his word is living and breathing and sharpening two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He doesn't even have to hear you speak. He doesn't have to listen. He doesn't have to look at your actions. He already knows what's in your heart. And what's so precious about that is he knows the intentions. I'm grateful for that. In the last service, just before the service, somebody was upset with me. They came and said, you did this, you did this, you did this. I said, yes, I did. And you did this to me. I said, no, 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 no. I did do this, this, and this. But I had no intention of doing that to you. I really tried to avoid doing that to you. And let me show you why. Well, okay. And we, we worked it out. We were three minutes late coming to service, but doggone it, we worked it out. We endeavored for the union of spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. And I, I was like, hurry up, you know? <laughs> and, and oftentimes when somebody comes to us, and you've heard me say this, you come to, you, they come to you and they say, you did this, and, and they're judging you on your actions. With their eyes, they're observing you, and their ears, they're listening to you, and they've judged you. 
And your response is, that's not, that's what I did, but that wasn't my intention. And everyone in the room, don't we love to, wouldn't we rather be judged on our intentions? Hello? Yeah. Okay, we, I, I need a little more from you. It's been a long day. But we want to be judged on our intentions, but it's fascinating how we're so quick to judge others' actions. And the Bible says, love your neighbors yourself. So you know what you do? You turn it around. You judge yourself on your actions and you judge others on their intentions. And when you judge others on their intentions, remember this, the Bible says love hopes all things. So you give them the benefit of the doubt. We love to be right and judgmental and bring down the hammer because their sin looks so much worse on them than it does on me. The Bible says to level you forgive, you will be forgiven. And so this picture that he doesn't judge by sight and sound, he judges by intention. And he knows your intention even better than you do. And that's all been weighed in the balance. He says, with righteousness, he'll judge the poor, decide equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth. Listen to this. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. You think he doesn't have that power? Read Genesis. He said, Yahior, wach Yahior. I don't speak Hebrew, but that's the best I can do. And literally translated means light be. Light was. Anyone able to do that in the room? Light be, light was. In the beginning, God created. Created means barach. Out of nothing, God created something. You can't even fathom nothing. You would describe it. Nothing is, using the verb to be. You can't. Only Hebrew has the word nothing, meaning nothing. And you can't even describe it. Out of nothing, he created. How did he do it? With his word. And his word changes because it's living, it's breathing, it's sharpening, two-edged sword. How many people's lives have been absolutely transformed simply by the preaching of the word where you've been delivered from drug addiction, your marriages have been healed, your life has been changed? Raise your hand. That's the power of the word of God. Well, let me raise my hands. That rod is his word. And, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with his breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. His word just melts us. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, faithfulness the belt of his waist. And then after this is established and this mercy of God is poured out as he's showing Isaiah through the Messiah, he says, in a fallen world where we're bound by the law, uh, the second law of thermodynamics, where everything goes from from order to chaos, it it reduces to its least common denominator. Everything's winding down. You have a, a, a phone, you have a watch, you have the clock in the back. Time is ticking. For time to exist, there needs to be a beginning and an end. We're all bound by time. It's odd. We don't even know how to describe it. And yet we know that it can only exist because there is time. We can't go back. We try. We, we make movies about it. We wish we could. We just keep getting older. It's awful. We fantasize about it. If I could just go back. You know, it, it's interesting to me. There's a, a man and, and he's, he's blessed me. I had lunch with him this week and he pays $40. He t- takes an ad out in Craigslist and he, he, he offers $40 for an hour of somebody's time. He said, I want to ask you five questions. I'm doing a research paper and all I want to know is I want to hear about your life through five questions. He's, t- he's had countless people take him up on the offer, $40 for the hour. He sits down and the first question he asks him, he says, look, uh, he, he lets small talk. And then the question that he asks, he says, if, if there's one moment in time that you could go back to that you could change that would change the course of your life, what would it be? 
And he says, countless, endlessly, they can always pick, oh, June 6th, ta, ta, ta. and that's when my dad, who was very selfish and, and, and very manipulative, told me to go and live with him, and my mom, she didn't contend with him, and, and I just went, and I wish I'd stay with my mom, and my whole life went downhill. Everyone can pick that place where they wish they had, at the, where the road, you know, forks. You can't go both ways. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And, and then he says this, he says, if God were sitting next to you right now, what would you say to him? And he says, some of them just start cussing at, the, at this empty seat. Like they feel it. He said, but the majority of the people that take me up on the $40 offer are living in their cars. He says, and what blows me away is the lion's share of them. When I ask them that question, they say, I would tell him, thank you. He started getting choked up when he said it. And we're going to see how Isaiah is moved by what God is declaring, that all he can simply say to the Lord is thank you. But in this place, one of the things is we live in a fallen world. And it's really awful, isn't it? I don't want to turn on the news anymore. And, and as we, we, we watch the news and we see these horrible things, we're longing for a day where it will change. And we're thinking we can, we can somehow fix it. We can somehow come up with some sort of way to fix it. And, and, and here's what's interesting. We have the law, and we, we want to legislate us into a place of safety. We, we need to one entrance into the school, and we've got to have armed security guards, and we've got to take away the rights of guns, and no automatic weapons. And, we, and we've gone through everything, and we to sit down, and we have to have a, a council, and we've and we, and we got to have a think tank, and we've got to get members of the and there's got to be tolerance, and we need to speak and work through this, and, and it, it's exhausting. And they still shoot each other. And we look at it, and we think, what's the answer? And nowhere does anyone say, how about God? How about the Lord? Oh. Burl Kane, who used to be the warden at Angola Prison in Louisiana, set up seminaries. And, and there, it used to be the murder capital of all the prisons in the United States. And he sets up seminaries and people come to Christ. There's over, I think, 30 different churches in the penitentiary. We were at the governor's office with Bobby Jindal. My wife and I were having dinner. We were being served by life inmates who had been murder and they're in the kitchen and they've got cleavers and they're serving us. And I'm like, whoa. And they, they go to reach out and they're cats. And you're like, oh my gosh, what are, where are we? And, and they love the Lord and they know they're in for life and they realize, and there's a change. And you walk through that prison unarmed amongst all the people and you're not afraid and it's because Christ has been presented and has changed the culture. And when Dennis Prager walked out, we asked him, what do you think of this? He goes, it makes me angry. And Dennis, why does it make you angry? Because we found the cure. But because it has God in the equation, we've dismissed it. You see, we're in a fallen world, the law of entropy. It's winding down and we're struggling and there's only a preservative. And the preservative is the law that God gave to the the, the nation of Israel. And that law has given us Western justice that you've practiced today. And this idea that there are absolutes and thou shall not steal and thou shall not covet. And, and you go through this, this is given by God and it's, it's there to preserve us while we wait to be redeemed. And the law itself, as it says in Harvard law school in the stairway, and this is described by the ancients and, and our founders. And it goes all the way back. The law is the wise restraints that make men free. You think, well, I'm a libertarian. How do restraints make me free? Let me alone. The idea is you restrain towards evil 
in order to pursue God, good, excellence. When we sat down, as I said about Antonio, I, I was conscientious of the food I was eating. I had, I think, Eggs Benedict that day. I was mowing. I got the f- deep fried hash browns. He's having fruit. It was just odd. <laughs> now, he looks this good because he applies restraints. He exercises. He watches his diet, right? I don't. I don't. And, and I commend him on that. But as I said in the last service, there are areas where I do apply restraint. I, I read the word every day. I'm sure you do. I study to show myself approved unto God. I apply these restraints. This area needs to be brought into submission because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, it was said of me by my mentor, I want to know the word of God like Rob McCoy knows food. So, so that's, that's that. But we apply these restraints, and the, and the purpose of it is to preserve society, and that's where government comes in, that we're, we're applying these so that our children can obtain the fullness of their nature, the laws of nature, and nature's God. But there will be one day when we won't have to contend with this, because every one of us, we know what we ought to do, but we don't. We know what we ought to do, but we don't. I wanted, I do. I, man, I have made more New Year's resolutions about that and have just, yeah. And one day, I'll get a brand new body, eternal in the heavens. I'll be ripped. You'll be like, dude, man. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I have a washboard stomach. I just have laundry on it. And I'm working through that. Shut that. He said I have a lot of laundry. I don't even know what to do now. Just, if you were aiming for my heart, bullseye, okay? So with this, With this, we're going to have a brand new body, eternal in the heavens, which means we're going to be sealed in our righteousness because we've chosen him. And we're a new creature in Christ, eternal in the heavens, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're saved by grace through faith. And when that happens, this idea that he's going to rearrange all creation. In the fall of man, in the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, animals are going nuts and, and instinct and all these things are happening and he just describes this, and it seems so bizarre, but this is heaven where he, re-es- he reestablishes heaven, where he says, the wolf shall lay down with the lamb. I mean, that just looks odd. That should be a bloody picture with fangs and a, just a mauled lamb. <laughs> right? We, we, go, we go through this, it says that, that uh, the leopard shall lay down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. They had the fatling like it would be temptation to the lion. The, the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young one shall lie down together. The lion and the ox shall, uh, shall eat straw like the ox. A nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. Doesn't that look odd to you? <laughs> this right here, that has to be photoshopped. That just doesn't make any sense. But this, this, uh, uh, this, this is what's going to happen in heaven. God's going to reestablish creation the way it was always intended with, um, with men and women who have been reconciled to him and put away the old and embrace the new. 
And he's cleansed us of all unrighteousness and we have a right standing with him. And the passage says, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. This is heaven. It's heaven. And, and I, I want to focus on this picture here. If you go with me to chapter 12, I'm almost finished. The response of hearing all this and the restoration of Israel and all the things that we've read in 11, Isaiah's response is, he says, oh Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. Your wrath, in a sense, is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation and I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has also become, everyone say, my salvation. salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. My salvation, draw water from the wells of salvation. You think, okay, well, how am I saved? How does heaven await me? How is this possible that I can experience something of this, this stature, this nature? How does this Messiah who has become my Messiah, what, 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 how does salvation work? And this is what's so fascinating. The rod of his, of his mouth and as his lips move, the world changes. It begins individually. The Bible says you believe in your heart. You confess with your tongue. Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. He was, he, he was trusting the Father. No man can remove as he's been placed in the hand of the Father. It's eternal life. I've told you this so that you may know you have eternal life, the scripture says. If you could lose it, it was never eternal to begin with. And you're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what he did. Amen. And, and that's, that's the profound nature of it, is, is that as you read all of what he has done in chapter 11, you come to chapter 12, and, and the room is divided. I'm not saying this is a bad side, this is a good side, but just illustratively speaking, one side realizes, God, I could never have done this on my own. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And you have saved me out of the abyss of my life. You've had mercy on me and you've given me grace. And your song is that of praise and gratitude. And you learn like we're going to learn on Monday how to say thank you. On this side, I don't need God. I'm the center of the known universe. I've removed him from the equation. His word means nothing to me. These are two opposing ideologies. One flourishes with families, the other implodes. What's fascinating is you don't even have to have a relationship with the Lord, but if you still apply his commandments, you'll still flourish on this earth. You'll be separated in eternity because it's his blood that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. We have to receive that. But you still honor his laws and a a nation will flourish. Ask anyone. a, A borrower is a slave to the lender. You don't steal. Any culture that, that, that allows you to steal it never accomplishes anything. You, you can't have any economy that is worth anything. That's why we need to try God. Amen. Ten commandments would be good to replace. Oh, no, 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 that's situational ethics. It's kind of, it, it's your truth. No, there's not your truth and my truth. There's truth. Well, it's social justice. No, there isn't social justice. There's justice. Amen. This side flourishes, this side doesn't. This side will flourish if this side does something. Get busy. <laughs> now, in, in relation to this, it says, 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And I, and I look at this, and I've been where there's wells like this, and we've been in uh, Central America and Africa. And those wells, you look at them. I mean, uh, eight pounds per gallon of water, that probably holds look, maybe two gallons. You drop that sucker down that well. You can pull it. Pour it in the bucket. And you're thinking, okay, so the well of salvation is, I have some efforts. I can't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. I've got to walk a certain way, act a certain way. That's the only way I'm going to be saved because of what I have to do. I have to earn his favor. And you think, that's, that's the work I do. The word here, so interestingly enough, in chapter 12, verse 3, the well is this kind of a well. It's called an artesian well. In the Hebrew, it means that by gravity, it just squirts it up. And you just walk up. Very little effort, if any at all. I mean, that's your effort. I receive him. Bubbling up. Come to him. That's the well. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians. You believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And here's the thing, people struggle over that. It's so narrow. There's many ways to to God. Yeah, I believe all religions lead to God, but only one leads to heaven. The Bible says that when we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord, and every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. You'll stand before God, regardless of what religion you practice. But he'll say, why do I let you into a sinless, what covers the multitude of your sins? Sin means missing the mark, means you're not perfect. In your rebellion, a cosmic treason against me, what, what why? Because I'm a good person. Good compared to who? Pastor Rob. Rob McCoy. I got another standard? That's just low. <laughs> He says, my son is a standard, the one that you rejected because there was, there was a big gate, a, a giant battleship of the cross of Christ barring you from hell and you had to, by arrogance, bypass that and step over it. You've heard me say often, as, as Michael McCurtis has blessed me by saying it's blessed him, that I wish there wasn't a doctrine of hell. It would be a lot easier to be a minister. But there is. And nobody wants you out of hell more than Jesus. That's why he put that big cross to stop you from going. And, and you say, well, I'm going to get in on my own merits. No, 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 no. We're the only creature committed cosmic treason. The wages of sin is death. He's, he's paid the penalty. You receive it by faith. Yes. Not by works. Just, you just recognize it and accept it. The artesian well is bubbling up. Just go and drink from the well of living water. Amen. This is my salvation. I'll close with these last pictures here. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? She'd been married five times. She was living with a man. Her life was just a train wreck. The Bible says that Jesus must needs go by Samaria. So he went way out of his way just to get to that well to talk to that woman. And he says, draw some water for me. And she says, how can it be that you, a Jew, are asking of me, a Samaritan, for water? And he said, he said this passage, it was touching. He said, uh, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Living water. She, was, she, she wasn't disillusioned anymore. She knew her life was a train wreck. She, she owned it. She, was, she, she had really investigated her life. She was candid about all of her failures. That's, that's what I so appreciate about you, Antonio. Laid it all out there. I didn't spare any punches. 
and he owned it. And as I listened to him, I thought, that's not so bad. I'm glad I, you didn't ask me about my life. <laughs> Maybe next time. But as we look at that, she wasn't, she wasn't disillusioned. She, she just realized, I, I've had five husbands. I'm living with another man. You know all this about me. And he just lays this out to her. He knew that she was ready to get real. Yeah. You know why? She was thirsty And when the Lord says, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the artesian wells of salvation, she was ready. He said, if you'd asked me, if you had asked me, I would give you living water. So the first way to draw water from the artesian well of salvation, it's real simple. All you need to do is ask Jesus. Lord, would you save me? There's another aspect to it. These are all interconnected. On the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. John 7, 37. It was the day of the feast. He's in this huge temple, the court of the Gentiles. Everyone's thirsty. There's a Dartesian well bubbling. He points to it and he just simply says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. So the first one is if you want to have, if you want to drink from this Artesian well of salvation, first is you just have to ask him. The second is you got to come to him. You can come to him and then ask him however you want to do it. There's another aspect to it. Jesus said in John 6, when he fed the thousands, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. All you can do is ask me, come to me, and believe in me. That's it. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. And he has become, everyone said it. You know, this is what we close with. This is what we close with. We all live in a fallen world. We're all struggling. The world is divided. He's either God or he isn't. Either our life will merit examination by those that are thirsty and struggling and they'll be drawn to the water that you live for and declare. Or you will remain silent and not lift a finger. And what I was so blessed by Tom is he was able to confess, I've never shared the Lord with anyone until I became a Gideon. Step out of your comfort zone because they're dying of thirst. And, and, and they look at you and they're thirsty. They want, they want the, the families you have. They want the life you have. And that causes them to want to have the God you know. Yeah. And you just simply say to them three things. Come to me, ask me, believe in me. And the problem is, God doesn't have any grandkids. He's just got kids. That's why it has to be my salvation. I remember Frank Pastore shared this on his radio program. He said, if I were to die today, driving on the 210, hitting, riding my motorcycle, and it happened exactly like he said. But he told his radio listening audience, he said, look, I know where I'll be. And it happened just like he said on the radio program. It was crazy. They, they played it at his funeral. So I have to be real careful about what I'm about to say next. <laughs> if I leave here today and I go out in a bright, clear sky and lightning strikes Mount Boney and an enormous boulder rolls down Mount Boney and hits a car that slides it into another car that then hits a tree that then falls and hits me and I die. I know where I'll be because he is my salvation. 
I personally made a profession of faith that I believe in my heart and I've confessed with my tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has cleansed me of all unrighteousness and he said of himself, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is messianic prophecies hundreds of years old that are declaring to you today that he can become your salvation. Believe him, come to him, right? And ask him and you will be saved. It's not that hard. It's easy. Gosh, that's so easy. It is, it is. It's very easy. Unbelievably difficult for him on the Via Dolorosa that all the sins of the world were put upon him and his, he said, uh, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was, it was hard as hell for him. But easy for you, easy for me. But here's the problem. It has to become your salvation. You have to say my salvation because being Raised in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a garage makes you a car. It's got to be, you have to be able to say, my salvation. And you want to know how to do it? Ask him. Right? Believe in him. Come to him. And you will be saved.